Good morning. It's good to see you. We, uh, for the last couple of weeks, have reflected on a story, uh, if you've been with us, uh, the story of an encounter with Jesus from Mark's gospel, uh, the, the fifth chapter. And so far, over the last couple of weeks, we've, we've asked a couple of questions. We've asked how this story, what this story has to teach us, right, about the, the practice of solitude and the practice of community. Um, these practices of solid, solitude and community and then also the practice of service are uh, the practices and the rhythms of this congregation, ways that we are trying to, uh, even now, encounter the living God, as Thomas has, has, has pointed out for us. So this morning, we're going to ask what this story, uh, and, and, and in particular, what the, the actions of Jesus in this story have to teach us about the, this third practice, the practice of service. So we're going to read, uh, in just a second, Mark 5, uh, verses 25 through 34. It's, just a, it's actually just a piece of the larger story we've been reading. But before we read, I just want to uh, invite you to just take a moment, take a moment of of silence to prepare uh, yourself uh, to pray, to ask what it is that God might have to say to you through this story this morning. Listen now for the word of God to you this morning. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had. And she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately, her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman Knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Holy God, be gracious to us. As we listen for a word that we confess can only come from you. We make this prayer in the name of your son, Jesus, our example in all things. Amen. I have uh, three essential rules for my sons. Just three. Pretty easy going, dad, here this morning. And I, I have three essential rules. I have a, I have a list of uh, non-essential rules that I've been writing down since my oldest, Thomas, was born. It's more like advice, right? Things like drain the gas out of your lawnmower before winter so you don't ruin your carburetors. Uh, or like, don't be afraid to let the referee uh, know what you think, you know? 
It's part of their job to explain the decisions that they make on a regular basis. Or, you know, like I do a lot of weddings, so one of my rules for my sons is learn how to give a decent toast. It's a problem, if you didn't know, <laughs> in our culture. <laughs> um, but the essential rules are, are more serious and hopefully uh, will be a feature of our parenting. And the first of these rules is know your surroundings. Know your surroundings. And uh, with my oldest, Thomas, who's four years old, the ways that we're practicing uh, these rules, I mean, I have a 16-month-old as well, and really the only rule I have for him is just sleep more. <laughs> just please, sleep more. Um, but Thomas, the way we're living this out is, you know, as we walk through parking lots, we hold hands together. Um, when we're on the dock at the lake, it's, you wear a life jacket, right? When we hear an ambulance or when we see an ambulance, we say a quick prayer. You know, I hope everyone's okay. Um, or, you know, when said little brother is trying to sleep, let's, let's be quiet. <laughs> or earlier this year, you know, uh, we learned that really important practice of, like, when to use the restroom inside and outside. <laughs> There's appropriate places to do that. And more appropriate places to do that. But the reason that uh, this rule is so important to my wife, Abby, and me is that we want to raise sons who are... Uh, aware, who know how to pay attention, who aware, are aware of where they are and who else they're around, so that they won't lead lives of self-centeredness. So you can pray, you can pray for us as we do that. And as the son of a pastor's, uh, as a son of a pastor, like you can pray for pastors' children everywhere. It's really important. But this is discipleship, by the way. I'm becoming more and more convinced that. Um, what we give our attention to uh, is a spiritual practice. Attention is a spiritual practice. You tell me uh, who or what gets your attention, and I will tell you who or what you love. And here's the other thing about attention. It is also the way we give our power away. What you pay attention to, you will give your power to. And so service begins with attention. There was a, a study at my alma mater, Princeton Seminary, uh, in the 70s, so don't judge me, um, about essentially the relationship between religious thinking and helping. A couple of researchers from the university wanted to see what effect religious thinking has on service or, or on this uh, uh, helping others. And so they, they gathered a group of uh, seminarians to ostensibly study uh, religious vocation, careers of religious vocation. And so the, uh, the participants uh, were asked to, they had to give a three to five minute talk uh, essentially on uh, their careers as um, potential ministers. And half of the students were asked to give just a three to five minute talk on just the basic uh, duties of ministers. So preaching, uh, and hospital visitation, maybe managing some staff, maybe budgeting, things like prayer and study. They're just going to give a basic talk about that. The other half uh, of the participants were asked to give the same talk, but they were also given the parable of the Good Samaritan uh, to incorporate into their talk. Now, the participants were told, oh, we don't have enough room in this building, so you need to prepare your, your, your remarks here, and then there's an audience waiting in another building. We're going to take you there. And that's where you'll give your talk. So they, they were preparing their talks. 
And then when it, when it came time for them to go to the other building, they were told that um, they were running a little bit tight on schedule and that they needed to hurry to get to that second building. They needed to hurry. Some of, the, some of the participants were told they needed to hurry more than other participants. But they were told, make your way there. And on the way, each of the students encountered a man hunched over, moaning very loudly, clearly in need of help. So the question is, did they stop? Did they stop to help this man? Or maybe more importantly, the question is, did the parable of the Good Samaritan, those who were about to deliver a talk on helping people along the way, actually help a person on the way? And unfortunately for my colleagues from Princeton Seminary, no, it didn't matter at all. The only determinative factor that mattered in the study was how much of a hurry you were in. So those who were in more of a hurry disproportionately didn't stop. They didn't even notice that there was a man who needed their help. All service begins with attention, with attention. And the story that we have just read uh, today from this gospel, we know is a story within a story, right? Jesus is on his way somewhere. We know that there's a little girl who is suffering and she is dying. We know that her dad, Jairus, has, uh, is a leader in the town. He's the, the leader of the synagogue. He's come very publicly to Jesus to say, come please to my house and save my daughter. We know that this would be a significant public act of ministry for Jesus. And so when we get to this part of the story, we can be forgiven for thinking, Jesus, don't stop. I mean, you're on the way to somewhere really important. This little girl is dying. The crowd is always going to be with you. But you have a mission to do. Go and do it and, and think about what this will mean for your ministry to heal the daughter of such a public figure. And yet in the middle of the crowd, with people pressing in on him, Jesus notices that someone in particular touches him. A suffering woman who would be very easy to overlook. Jesus notices her. We could say that he knew his surroundings, even in the chaos of the moment. And not only does he notice her, right? He stops. He takes the time to listen to her. It says she told him her whole truth. It's one of my favorite details of the story. No, long, no idea how long that took, right? She'd been suffering for a really long time. She had spent all she had. It says she's seen many doctors. As one of my uh, teachers put it, those of you who are doctors in the room might prefer this story in the Gospel of Luke, where Luke, who is also a doctor, leaves that, that point out. It's really interesting to me. But think about how frustrated she must be. She spent all she has. She's seen experts. And no one can heal her. And Jesus notices her. 
And if all service begins with attention, I think the next step is compassion. It's compassion. He notices her, he stops what he is doing, and he listens to her. Compassion uh, literally means, and it's often translated as, as um, suffering with. The idea being that, that to have compassion on someone is to enter into whatever it is that they're going through. And it's a good literal translation. My favorite definition of compassion, though, is curiosity without assumptions. It's curiosity without assumptions. Maybe one of the best ways that we can be of service to others, especially those who are hurting, is to simply be curious about their lives without judging them, to maybe wonder with them with kind of holy awe about the burdens that they are carrying, to follow the example of Jesus by This is really important. Listening to others tell us their stories and not just listening, but believing their stories. Man, is that powerful. To be believed. And I think that one thing that you'll notice as you spend more time being curious with people without assumptions is that you have little time. And honestly, you have little energy saved up for resentment or for judgment when someone reaches out to literally grab you because of their need. If we're going to let Jesus be our example for service, we have to name a third element, though, beyond attention and compassion. And that element is power. It's power. and We don't need to get philosophical about about power here this morning either. Power, uh, roughly defined, is the ability to get something done. It's the ability to get something done. And Jesus, he uses his power to heal this woman. And spoiler alert, he's going to do the same thing in like a few verses to Jairus' daughter. He uses his power to heal her. He doesn't just stop and have compassion on her, ask her questions. He uses the power. We might even say the power is used. It goes out from him but it's his power that he's giving away. You might be thinking to yourself that, you know, that's Jesus, a.k.a. the Son of God, uh, you know, the Word made flesh, the one who, who dies and raises again, that guy. What power do I have to heal? That is a good question. There's a story I love about a bus driver in New York City whose route takes him all over Manhattan. And at the end of the night, he takes his bus and he drives it over the bridge to Long Island and he parks it there. And every day at the end of his route, on the last stop, he does something simple, he does something subtle, and yet, to me, beautiful, remarkable. He asks the passengers who are on that last stop to give him all their problems. He knows that the passengers on his route work really long hours. He knows that they carry a lot of burdens. He knows that if they take those burdens home with them, that they will share those burdens with their families, with their spouses, their partners. And so he says, give give them to me. Give me your problems. 
It's symbolic, but give me your problems. Let me drive them across the bridge. Let's leave those problems in Long Island. <laughs> That's my favorite part of the story, actually. Long Island, let's leave them there. Have you ever been to Long Island? Let's leave the problems there. Go home tonight. Don't share these burdens. Don't carry them there. It's a beautiful story to me about attention, about compassion. I mean, talk about curiosity without assumptions. Just tell me your problems. I won't judge you. But it's also a story about power. Right? You could imagine, you could imagine someone saying, well, he's just a bus driver. Right? It's a pretty ordinary job. You could imagine someone saying that. You could imagine himself thinking, I'm just a bus driver. And yet, and yet, his power, mixed with his attention, mixed with his compassion, is used in the service of other people. Used in a very small way. It's a very small way, it's a very small gesture to repair what might be broken. You might not be Jesus. You, you are not Jesus. <laughs> Let me, can we edit that from the... You are not Jesus. And yet I wonder, how are you using the power that you have to heal? How are you using the power that you have to repair what might be broken? Whether you're an executive, whether you're a teacher, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're an artist, a doctor, an attorney, a student, a parent, a bus driver. What are the ways that you are employing your power in connection to your attention and your compassion to repair what might be broken around you? There's something amazingly passive about Jesus in this story. He demonstrates for us that he truly is a man for others. He has this kind of freedom, right? He feels like he's floating through the story. He's letting other people set the agenda for his time, for his power. And not only is he kind of welcoming these interruptions, but he seems to uh, see them as sacred moments. And it seems to me that the world could use more freed up people, could use more men and women for others. Last Monday, my son, Thomas, looked at me. <laughs> and he said, uh, can you get off your phone and come play Legos with me? And it turns out that even as I'm trying to teach him to pay attention, he is teaching me. Attention. Compassion. Power. As you go into the world that God loves this week, know your surroundings. Where are you called? Who else is there? What power do you have? How can you use that in service to others? Let's pray together. Holy God, save us from our own preoccupations that we too might welcome the interruptions that you bring to us, that we might welcome them as sacred moments. 
increase our capacity for attention and compassion and help us to use our power to the ends of justice. We pray in the name of your Son, Jesus, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.